You're listening to Food for the Future on 980 CFPL, Curious Cast, and where you get your podcasts. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill. I'm Peggy O'Neill, host of Food for the Future, a weekly podcast that brings the humanities to today's food dialogue by showcasing everyday people trying to make a difference. This show is part of the Back to the Future series. I share stories from family farmers, conservationists, and artisans who spend their lives conserving agri-food traditions in hope for a simpler world. Today, we're speaking with Professor Patrick Hersey from Fanshawe College's Culinary Skills and Culinary Management Programs about heartwarming soups and stews. Welcome, Patrick. Hello, Peggy. Great to be here. Wonderful to have you. Patrick, how long have you been in the culinary arts? Uh, about 35 years now. I, I got my first job uh, working in a restaurant in high school, as uh, a lot of young people do, and uh, didn't take long before I was hooked. And uh, between that and taking family studies and cooking classes uh, at high school, it became a passion. Wonderful. 35 years. Wow. Lots mm-hmm. of knowledge and expertise to look forward to in this interview. Mm-hmm. What drew you to the culinary arts? What made you fall in love with it? Well, I think it it started off when I was about 10 or 11. I found that I was always in the kitchen and I was always interested in experimenting. Just a very curious kid, I guess, and and when it came to food and just loved trying out, uh, you know, working with different ingredients, exploring different flavors and just wanting to to do different things in the kitchen. At first I thought, oh, it'll be, it'll be fun. You know, not, not really thinking in, you know, in grade nine that this could lead to a a potential career, but uh, it, it eventually did. I just became hooked. And like anything else, if you kind of immerse yourself in it, you know, I had great teachers and great opportunities and it, and it kind of led me to uh, an apprenticeship later on. I also uh, attended Fanshawe and I'm a proud Fanshawe graduate and led me to work at, at a variety of different uh, places in the city. And uh, when I realized I wanted to get into teaching, my goal was to work at as many different types of establishments in the industry as possible, just so I could take all of those experiences and, and bring them to the classroom. Wonderful. So it's 35 years and home economics, that word is coming back, thinking about food costs and budgeting. And so that ingenuity that you're talking about that drew you to it and the curiosity. And you had mentioned about trying out different types of food service institutions. So do you mean working in restaurant and then food production facilities? Or what was the range of things that you wanted to get experience in? So for example, uh, I, I started off in a family style restaurant. I, I, I was raised in London and worked at a family style restaurant restaurant for a while. And then I worked in fine dining. I worked at a takeout restaurant, uh, worked at a hotel, worked at a nursing home, worked at a bakery, golf course. So everything involved food production in some way, shape or form. And, uh, you know, some places like at, at the nursing home I worked at, we fed 300 people for every meal service. So, you know, it was great to get that large quantity experience working in a place like that. And, and I know we're going to be we're going to be talking about soups and stews, but that's one thing that always stands out because one of my key jobs working at that nursing home was to make a soup every day. And it was very challenging at first, not only coming up with ideas, but uh, just being able to cook in, in, in that kind of volume. Right. And uh, not just having those 300 servings of soups that you needed every day in that long-term care facility, but in the various mm-hmm. levels of compliance, depending on what people could chew, people on cardiac diets and that kind of thing. So a wealth of experience. Mm-hmm. So you've told us where your journey started, what mm-hmm. drew you to it. I'd love to know what keeps you in the profession. 35 years, it's a long time to have one industry hold your attention. What mm-hmm. keeps you in it? 
Well, I, I think working at Fanshawe has a lot to do with that. And, and the fact that I'm able to work with young people, it sounds a little cliche, but they do keep you young and they, they keep you energized. And I draw a lot from their energy. And, you know, over the years, I've worked here and there in places to, to keep my skills sharp as well. And it's nice to have that flexibility to pick and choose whether I'm, you know, helping out with uh, catering or helping a friend to open a new restaurant or doing some consulting work. So I've been able to try different things, which has also helped uh, keep my interest as well. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so much changes in food. And, and you're right, exactly. the students, their curiosity, their futures all ahead of them. Mm-hmm. It really is uh, an energizing area to work in. So we are going to talk about soups and stews and particularly how they warm our hearts. But before mm-hmm. we get to that, I'd love to know what's one of the most complicated recipes you've made across your 35 years? Great question. I had to think about this in, uh, over back over the years. And uh, coincidentally, one, uh, one that came to mind is a soup. It's a fish soup or a fish stew. It's called burid. And uh, I don't know if you've heard of bouillabaisse before. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, fish soup. So it's similar to that, uh, but it involves multiple steps and cooking fish and shellfish to, to ensure that you don't overcook it and uh, including uh, saffron, which is pretty exotic, but you also have to be very careful when you're working with it. And yeah, so a, a lot of steps, but very satisfying if, if done well. Right. It can be rubbery if it's overdone and very fishy if it's not handled properly. So that balance and getting it right and all of the steps, it's not so much the ingredients, it's the actual steps and to get each one of them to the exact level of perfection is tricky. So you're bringing back memories of my food science days and trying to get through some of those recipes. Right. Yes. What's, What's one of your favorite things to make? Hmm. Well, I love baking too. And I think one of my favorite things to do is to bake bread. I, I just feel like there's nothing more satisfying than that. And uh, I'm not a baker, even though I, I've dabbled in it over the years. Uh, I just find that when you can take three or four ingredients, mix them together, and, and there's so much timing and technique and patience and you know, it can be, it can bomb, which it has happened many times over the years, or it can turn out absolutely perfect. And uh, I don't know, it's just the, the reaction you seem to get. Again, it seems so simple, but it's it's so satisfying at the same time. Right. And the way you describe whether it's the fish soup or whether it's the mm-hmm. bread that you really just love food. Mm-hmm. So can yes. you tell us, uh, Patrick, about Fanshawe College's culinary skills and culinary management programs? Uh, sure. Yeah. So that'd be great. Uh, we have two culinary-based uh, programs. Uh, culinary skills is a one-year certificate program, and then culinary management is a two-year diploma program. The goal of each is to prepare our students for working in the industry, um, but each level has a slightly different focus uh, depending on what you're hoping to get out of it. And in the one-year program, for example, we could have students who might be looking for those entry-level positions, or they may already have a little bit of experience and want uh, their certificate to go along with it. Or we may see people taking these courses just for general interest. Uh, so the, the one-year program is is really good for that. And, it, and it's kind of like a, uh, we sometimes refer to it as a basic training. You're going to get a little bit of everything. Culinary management, as the, the name implies, there's more of a management focus. In the second year of the program, the students do a, a work placement where they can get to apply what they've learned at school. Uh, and then when they come back to the second 
second year in the management program, they're taking more management focused courses, everything from how to design a restaurant uh, to how to manage your your costing, your your labor cost, your food cost. They do a business management where they learn how to create a business plan for a mock food service establishment and uh courses in wines and beers and spirits and things that complement food, of course. And I think the one thing that we really um, like to showcase is the fact that we have a restaurant called The Chef's Table. And, um, you know, it provides our students an opportunity to get some real-life work experience while they're in school uh, in both the culinary skills and the culinary management programs. So really something for everyone from mm-hmm. introductory, a little bit more early skills to build yes. on right down to a lot of very sophisticated live and uh, in person at mm-hmm. chef's table delivering the meals as well as thinking about design of facilities. So really yeah. a lot going on at Fanshawe Culinary Skills Absolutely. programs yeah. and culinary management program. What are one of the things that you're most proud of in the program, Patrick? Well, I, I think the fact that the culinary management, uh, I think this year will be our 30th year. And so that's, that's definitely something to be proud of. Mm-hmm. And we've seen a lot of graduates from our programs over the years. And, you know, something that makes me proud is that I can go to just about any restaurant in the city and I know I'm going to run into a graduate, a current student. And, you know, it's, it's become pretty, calm and I'll be sitting and then I'll just hear a, hey, chef. And I'm like, okay, there's, there's a graduate working here or there's a student, you know, and, and it's nice. You know, you get to, to learn about or, or see firsthand how they progressed and, you know, what they've been able to go on and do after they, they leave the program. So, you know, and I'm proud of, of how we've been able to not only produce some great graduates, but how we've been able to evolve as well over the years. And, you know, when we talk about things like very topical issues, everything from sustainability to cultural anthropology, we, we teach about that now. You know, we try to stay as current and as relevant and uh, as possible, uh, working with uh, local producers, different ingredients, focusing on local seasonal cuisine in, in our classrooms or keeping in mind special diets, for example. You know, we teach about gluten-free, we teach about vegetarian and vegan, you know, so we, we, we kind of recognize the trend and we adapt and we evolve. Well, being in business for 30 years is not just because it's technically excellent, but there's a demand in the students. I'm sure word of mouth spread that it's a wonderful program because there has to be the student intake in order to keep a program going that long. So very, very well done. And do the Mm -hmm. students study how to make soups and stews? Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of the first things we do. And and I would say one of the great things about soups is that they're great from a learning perspective. So when, when a student starts the program, you know, it's all about, okay, here's the kitchen, here are the tools you're going to need. Obviously, knives are a big part of that because there's a lot of prep work that goes into all the different recipes. And so we can practice or the students can practice their knife skills and their cooking skills at the same time. It's, it's actually the second week of class they're making soup. So it's, it's a great way to learn the craft and to practice your skills and have something delicious to show for it. I, I love that transition, that change that takes place when you're stewing foods because of the change of the texture and all the flavor that you can develop from that. I, I say to my students, it's kind of like magic, really. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. really is. Yeah. It smells delicious while it's cooking mm-hmm. and tastes delicious too. Lots of lots of nourishment. After the break, we'll discuss heartwarming soups and stews with Patrick Hersey from Fanshawe College's Culinary Skills and Culinary Management Programs. This is Food for the Future. I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill.
Welcome back to Food for the Future on 980 CFPL, Curious Cast, and where you get your podcasts. Welcome back. I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill. You're listening to Food for the Future. We're speaking with Patrick Hersey from Fanshawe College's Culinary Skills and Culinary Management Programs about soups and stews. Patrick, this show is part of the Back to the Future series. So we look at traditions in agri-foods and certainly soups and stews are considered comfort food in many of our histories. Why? Well, um, first of all, I could say when we talk about comfort food, we talk about this a lot at school too. And of course, that can mean something different to everyone. We have a lot of international students and we're often talking about comfort foods from different cultures and cuisines. And more often than not, some type of soup comes up. And of course, the, the most popular response I get is chicken soup, right? And uh, who doesn't think of that when, you know, when you're, you're not feeling well or you're cold, um, you know, soups are just like a big, food hug, I call it, you know, and the, the way they make you feel. And, um, you know, if you, you look back at any cuisine, I focused on classical French cuisine and when I was a student. Um, but when you look at uh, uh, any cuisine, you see st- soups and stews do play a, a central part in so many, uh, so many different cuisines. And I think that's why so many people are, are comforted by them. Yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. So soups and stews, as you were alluding to, are are very versatile and they really warm us up during the cold months. But why do they also warm our hearts? Well, I think, yeah, they just make you feel good. And uh, I think there's just something about it that sometimes you you can't really put your figure on, but sort of literally and figuratively, they, they warm us up. And it's just something that we can all relate to, whether it was something that a relative or a friend made for us. You know, I often think back to when I think of stews, I, my first thought goes back to something that my mother used to make, you know, and so those kinds of memories uh, warm your hearts. And um, yeah, it, I think they're just the soups and stews are just central to uh, not only so many cuisines, but to, to so many people as well, and, and so many meals as well. I, I enjoy personally serving soup. If I had to choose a, an appetite, or a first course, it would more than likely be a soup, right? And whether it's it's something really simple or, or really complicated, yeah, you know that people are going to love it. Soups are also a good way to, um, you know, I mentioned how I got interested about it with exploring ingredients, but also to use ingredients. And mm-hmm. I'm always very careful when I say it because I, I don't want it to sound like, you know, soups are just for, okay, let's clean out the fridge or let's use up the leftovers. But the reality is you can, you know, and, and something that's important to me is, is when we talk about food security is, you know, how can we maximize what we do with our, our food products, right? So you have a little piece of squash left in your crisper, or you have a couple of celery sticks that are, you know, maybe, you know, not looking as, as perfect as they were when you bought them. I mean, they're still perfectly fine to eat. And so, uh, I think soups in particular, are one way that we can, we can utilize such a wide variety of ingredients and make something delicious with it. And, you know, sure, sometimes I crave a specific soup or stew, but sometimes it's just, okay, let's open up the, the fridge and see what we have and, and what we can make from it. Right. And that curiosity and creativity we're talking about, it's so interesting mm-hmm. to say, well, you know what? I have this and this. I wonder if they go together. Um, right. Certainly the food security and environmentalism is another reason that soups and stews can warm our hearts if we're using up leftovers and things that otherwise, maybe there's not a big enough portion to serve in another meal, but there would be lots to have as a part of a soup or a stew. 
In this show, we try to bring the humanities to today's food dialogue, and certainly part of that is our traditions and the things that warm our hearts, like soups and stews. What is one of the oldest soup recipes that you've ever seen or made? So I'd say one that I've seen uh, minestrone soup. I know it's very common, but it's actually a very old recipe, and it has many different variations, I think it can be a little bit misunderstood because we're used to it uh, a certain way. But I, I know I've been doing some reading recently on, um, they call it the blue zones, you know, where, where mm-hmm. we had these areas of the, the world and they were talking about Sicily and, and uh, showcasing some people there who, who have basically eaten minestrone soup for their whole life. And, but the vegetables always came out of their garden that they had in the backyard and, you know, and, and that kind of thing. And uh, so, yeah, that's, that's one that comes to mind, right? And it's versatility and a simple kind of soup, right? That, but yet so versatile in that you can use any kind of vegetable, any kind of bean, again, whatever you have have on hand but it it kind of hits all the the marks right yeah and then i i've done a lot of classical french cuisines uh, like french onion soup again still a relatively popular soup it's been around for uh, a really long time and um some other uh, classics, uh, ribolazza, if you heard of that one, it's an mm-hmm. Italian onion soup as well. Uh, and it incor- incorporates um, bread. And what's neat about it is that you, you kind of puree half of it, and but you keep the other half liquid, and then you mix the two together, uh, which is a little bit different from a technique perspective. But what I like about that is it, it actually, but by pureeing half of it and then pouring that into the other half, you create a thicker body to the soup. It's more consistency, and it fills you up right like there's something different about you know eating a broth based soup compared to something that's a little bit thicker and create a a creamy effect without actually adding any cream Um, you know again work with what you have there's there's ways that you can do that right well you've just described across time place and circumstances there's something universal about this soup and stew concept and that is also heartwarming but i'd love to know why do you think we need to keep our old favorites like soups and stews as we move forward into the future i think that uh, it's important for many reasons looking at today's uh, younger generation, uh, you know, passing on recipes that we cooked or that our parents or our grandparents cooked. I just think it's, it's, it's important for posterity. Uh, I think we live in a world now where we rely very heavily everything from fast food to food delivery. You know, a number of years back, we, we used to talk a lot about a, a thing called, um, this concept called slow food, you know, just slowing things down and just enjoying food, right? And not being in such a hurry. So if that means, you know, making a stew that takes two or three hours on your stovetop on a Sunday afternoon, that's fine, you know, and, I think you'll enjoy it that much more by taking a more traditional approach, right? And um, I think you give the food some time to do what it's meant to do, to develop those flavors, develop those textures. And again, it's just much more satisfying. And it's a, it's a great way to empower people too, right? And that's something I see, right? People who don't think they can cook. And, you know, if you kind of strip it all down and take it step by step and practice, right? You just give, your, give yourself that opportunity to learn you'll definitely get the hang of it it's it's not as it's not as hard as it may seem right and be courageous yes. be curious yeah <laughs> do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners patrick 
I don't think so. I just, again, thank you for giving me the chance to, to speak about something that has been such a big part of my life. And, you know, food is one of those things. It's it's a universal language. It's it's something that we can do to bring people together. We can cook, we can eat together. And uh, I just I just love everything that it stands for. And uh, nice to see that people are paying attention to what's important, you know, whether it's supporting our local farmers or or, you know, focusing on uh, working with ingredients that are healthy, good for us, focusing on our diet, things like that. Right. Almost any subject you can think of in school, there's something that you could do with food. Food is a source of such incredible happiness and joy. Mm -hmm. And we hope listeners will create some fabulous heartwarming soups and stews after listening to the show. Thank you so much, Patrick, for sharing your love of food. And I can't wait to make some soup this week. All right. Yeah, me too. Today on Food for the Future, we've been speaking with Patrick Hersey from the Culinary Skills and Culinary Management Programs at Fanshawe College about heartwarming soups and stews. Each week, to keep old and new agri-food traditions growing in your community, we leave you and your family and friends with something to talk about and something to do. Something to talk about? What soup or stew could you try? Something to do? Search Culinary Skills and Culinary Management at Fanshawe College to learn more about one school's traditions in creating a love of artistry and food. Next week on the show, we return to the monthly series, Our World. We'll hear from Lance Wolliver, Executive Director at Wildlife Preservation Canada, about conservation and rancher collaboration to support wildlife. Don't miss a show. Subscribe on Curious Cast and all other major podcast platforms. I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill, and you've been listening to the weekly podcast, Food for the Future. Thank you to our Platinum Elite Level sponsor, Burn Bray Farms, Eggs for Life. Food for the Future with Peggy O'Neill airs every Saturday on 980 CFPL, Curious Cast, and where you get your podcasts.